Luke chapter 11, we're going to read the first few verses from Luke chapter 11 in a moment. Uh, We've been in a a series in the book of James, and uh, we have planned into our schedule on a regular basis some gaps for just sermons focused on vision and values in the life of the church, and this morning was one of those gaps. Next week, we'll be picking up with our series in James with the back half of chapter 2, but this morning, we're going to talk about prayer and uh, the importance of prayer in the life of the church and in your life. And so um, as we seek to become a church that doesn't just pray, but really a praying church, I think it's important that we go to the word and we let Jesus instruct us, teach us, and draw us in to an experience of prayer that can really transform our lives. So Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts, your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Lord, as we come before You, we're reminded, Lord, that You are present with us and You hear our prayers. It's a wonder, God, that You, the Creator of the universe, have chosen to tune Your ear to us. Lord, that you're concerned with what is on our anxious hearts. Lord, that you include us in your purposes and plans and call us to pray with you in the mission that you have in the world. That you're concerned about our needs. And Lord, that each one of us individually as we're here, God, we can call on you. We can speak to you. For that, Lord, we give you praise, and we're grateful. And Lord, we're reminded even by these words that you invite us into an experience of your presence and life in us, that as we call on you, Lord, we are reminded that you've already given your spirit to us to be present with us and in us, to be with us, Lord, that we can have a closeness through genuine conversation and so God as we think about how often we've neglected the gift of prayer we confess it to you Lord that our lives have become so hurried so busy and so active Lord that we've neglected to ask and seek and knock for the things that your heart is ready to give to us and so we're asking Lord that in this time as we think about your word as we study your word Lord, that you would slow us down you would help us to see your heart and lord you would teach us to pray we ask for this in jesus name amen uh i I think the reason for really choosing this topic as we have gathered here this morning and have a chance to think about the vision and values of our church is because uh 
of a deep desire in, in my heart and I think a sense in anyone who's really a genuine Christian in, in your heart to really recognize that God has given us a gift in prayer that we often neglect. And that we would seek to be a church that is marked by being a praying people. Not just because we're told that we should pray, but because God has invited, the God of the universe has invited us to experience more of him than we recognize we experience apart from him. That, that we wouldn't just labor to, to be a part of good things, but that we would experience the power of God. I don't know if that's your desire as you've come in this morning, but my desire is that increasingly as a church, whatever season God brings us in, we would desire and hunger for the presence and power of God in our lives and in our church. I think we often know so little about prayer because we persist so little in it. Maybe there's a time where we hear a sermon and we think I'm going to engage in that and we give it a few days in our life, but but it's not, it's not become the common practice of us to just know that, that in every aspect of our lives, we need God so deeply that he's invited us to come to him and ask for his power, for his wisdom, for his provision. The passage we just read this morning began with a request from the disciples that Jesus would teach them to pray. So here we get some of the most direct teaching from Jesus on prayer, and it's beautifully and powerfully simple. It goes along well with my desire for myself and for our church that we would learn to pray and that we would look back and wonder why it was so difficult before. You know, there are some seasons in in the life of a church, in the life of a person, that bring us into deep contact with our own weakness and inability. I have to be honest, over the last six weeks in the wake of Clint's death, I've been struck more often than not by my own personal weakness and the inability really as a church to produce spiritual life apart from the Spirit of God really being powerfully at work in our midst. We've tasted at moments over the last six weeks God's kindness and nearness in our sorrow, in our weeping, in our needs, and the Lord is continually drawn near, and we've been drawn to pray, and we've been drawn to ask the Lord in particular ways in our desperation and weakness for a touch from His Spirit, and I believe that God has been faithful to continue to draw near to us as we have drawn near to Him. But my desire is that that wouldn't be just a moment in the life of the church or a feeling of great need, but this would be a moment where we really individually, you in your life, maybe as you experience different aspects of weakness and limitation and a recognition that we are not God, that you would experience this season as a season of life for you where you learn to pray. And you learn to pray so much that you wonder how you hadn't learned it so easily before. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, book, Letters to Malcolm, which is chiefly uh, letters on prayer, he says, so many things are done easily the moment you can do them at all. But till then, they feel sheerly impossible, like learning to swim. Apparently, he didn't learn to swim very easily. I I didn't find that one personally hard, not trying to brag. But, uh, But swimming came hard for him. There are months during which no efforts will keep you up. Then comes the day and the hour and the minute after which, and ever after, it becomes almost impossible to sink. There's just some things when we learn them, and once they get in us, we don't forget them. You know, I've tried to teach four daughters how to ride a bike, and I've always found it a profound mystery to teach a child how to balance themselves on a bike. Uh, Whatever it was called in teaching them, it was really just trying to stay with them until they stopped crashing. Maybe this has something to do with my teaching abilities or my parenting. But then there's just this moment, right, in learning to ride a bike when it just clicks. And from that moment on, it's like you can't even remember how you didn't know how to ride a bike. So my desire, my hope, my prayer for us is that whatever you're facing in your life right now, that we would experience a season of prayerfulness that would result in wondering how we didn't value it, care for it, engage in it, know it before. 
So as we look here in the 11th chapter of Luke, Jesus is instructing his disciples about prayer. And particularly, he's trying to motivate them to prayer out of this request that is going on. But, but I want to just point out one thing that really wasn't in my notes. But as we were reading it, I, I want you to realize that the reason they asked is because Jesus was praying. Even just as I read that this morning here before us, I thought, Jesus was praying. The reason they wanted to know how to pray is because they saw that Jesus was praying. This capable person, the God who had come in the flesh, who now walked among them, they'd seen his power. Jesus was praying. And because of that, they wanted to know, what do you know about prayer that we don't? And Jesus gives them insight into prayer as he answers their simple question, Lord, teach us to pray. And I want us to see four simple insights to help us grow in the area of prayer from what Jesus taught his disciples in this passage. The first one is this. The first one may seem obvious, but it's pray authentically. Jesus taught his disciples to pray authentically we see this in verse one through four as he answers the question and he just says simply when you pray say this <laughs> now if you notice we read matthew chapter six where this uh, where jesus is teaching in a similar way in the sermon on the mount uh, uh what he obviously regularly taught about prayer and so we have similar phrases to what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. They're slightly different in Matthew than they are in Luke, but you see that it's the same heart, the same pattern. And Jesus uh, says it in simple terms here. Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Jesus just gives them these phrases. And I think it's interesting to hear this request from the disciples and see what Jesus does. Because it's not like the disciples had never prayed. When, when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray, their cultural and religious experience would have been filled with all sorts of prayers for all sorts of occasions. These people grew up saying prayers, both in the synagogues and in their daily life. As first century Jewish people, they had plenty of understanding about prayer. But what they saw in Jesus was something different than that. They saw a familial relationship with the Father in plain language in his prayers where Jesus simply related to God in prayer. And so they, they saw a prayer life that was more real, like a beloved son with his father, and they wanted him to teach them. So in verses 1 through 4, as Jesus explains prayer, he doesn't do, notice, he doesn't do anything of incredible philosophical depth. Jesus doesn't say, listen, this is how it works, you know, and, and uh, you know, here's how God's sovereignty works with your decisions and why you should pray and how you get the really good stuff from God. You notice how he doesn't do any of that? He just teaches them to talk like normal people to God about the kind of things that we need, the kind of concerns that we have, and to talk to him like a father. You'll notice this idea of a father bookends the passage. At the beginning, Jesus prays, our father, and at the end, Jesus instructs them, your father's better than you, and you know enough to give good gifts to kids. And he reminds us this is who we're speaking with. So what Jesus does is he just uses ordinary language that highlights the fact that we have a lot of things to easily pray for if we stop and think about it. You know, if you haven't known where to start in prayer, here is the place. Authentically slowing down to bring your life before God. We are in such a hurry. We have so many concerns. We, we, we're thinking about all sorts of things. But, but God invites us to come into his presence, slow down our lives, and begin to take the biggest things and speak to him about those. Further, Jesus is going to show us that we can ask things. We can request things. We can, we can beseech God to help us. We can appeal to Him. We can experience forgiveness. And Jesus just gives them straightforward language to talk about things. And, and so you begin by simply, authentically speaking to God who, who, whom we know is concerned about our lives. This is what Jesus was teaching that was unique. You don't need a lesson in the mechanics of prayer. 
None of us do that. Even today, if you're here, no, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're not a Christian at all, you really don't need a lesson in the mechanics of prayer. You just need to begin to pray and be invited to pray from who you are to God's heart as your Father. You see, we worship God, he says, We ask for His will to pervade our lives. We bring our needs and requests. We ask for forgiveness. We seek spiritual strength and protection. And so Jesus says, just pray like this. It's pretty simple. And it's a kind of a reminder of the simplicity and an invitation for you and I to enter into an authentic relationship with God through prayer. Prayer is the bridge between what you say you believe about God and an authentic experience of Him relationally where you really begin to interact with Him and experience His life in you. And so, the first thing we see is Jesus teaches them to pray authentically. Then let's move to verse 5 through 8. In verses 5 through 8, we see that Jesus teaches them to pray audaciously. Pray audaciously. Yeah, we're going to be all A's today. Four A's. Pay attention. This is where Jesus gives them a story, right? He tells this story about somebody coming into town and being with a friend, and the friend doesn't have anything to give them. There's a sense of hunger in the house. And, uh, and, and so this friend realizes he has no way to show hospitality, and he goes to the neighbor's house, and he begins to knock on the door, and, and, and it's the middle of the night. It's, it's, it's after people would have regularly been asleep, and he's going to ask him for something. So Jesus tells this story, and he says something really interesting in the story. He says, you know, that guy isn't going to get up because, of his friend, because he's his friend. <laughs> it's like, you know, none of us in the middle of the night are like, you know, let me make it easy on my friend who seems to have somebody next door. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to get the bread and go make sure that he's all taken care of. He says, you know, friendship may not drive you to do that sort of thing as a person, but he says that because of this man's audaciousness is impudence that the guy actually helps out. So the key to understanding the point of the story then is found in verse 8 because that's where Jesus takes the story and he says, this is what you should have heard. In case you missed all of that or you tried to make it seem like God's hard to get stuff from or anything like that, that's not the point of the story. The story is the reason he gets what he needs is because of his audaciousness to ask at such a time. And so the key verse is really in verse 8, and he uses this term, this man's impudence, which isn't a word that most of us use every day. But he says, because of that, he will give him what he needs. So the point of the story, if you're listening, is that man, this man gets what he needs because although it may seem like an inconvenient time, he doesn't fail to ask. He goes and does it. It takes a certain level of boldness, willingness, risk, desire to go and do this. The word used here in Greek that is translated impudence has a Greek root from which we get the word audacity, an audaciousness. And that's exactly the point. Literally, the word means no shame. It's a, it's a compound word with the prefix for no and the, and the root word for shame. And so this is a guy who obviously had no shame in knocking on his neighbor's door in the middle of the night to take care of his friend. And that's exactly the point. The man is audacious enough to ask, and because of that, he receives. He experiences this blessing. If he was not audacious enough to ask, he would not have received anything. This is what Jesus is showing. Well, that that tells us a couple things. Audacious prayer, you know, just kind of three little things to think about. What what would get me to the place of, of an audacious sort of praying with God? Well, audacious prayer requires a recognition of need. We often find the motivation to pray noticeably. Notice this, we often find the motivation to pray audaciously when we're in deep need. Your most audacious prayers in life have probably been at your moments of greatest need. Your most authentic, pour your heart out to God uh, sort of praying happens in those sorts of times. When the heat is turned up in our lives or we experience a significant need, then we generally begin to think, hey, I should probably pray about this. Perhaps 
we do little praying because we don't recognize that we have such deep needs and we're too self-sufficient in so many ways to ask God and we don't have a shamelessness that, that, that God wants to deliver far more than just meeting the thing that we're worried about. And have you ever, have you ever considered that you know God is kind enough to be concerned about our anxieties and needs, but He actually might have something far beyond that that He wants to do in your life? This brings me to the second thing that is needed for audacious praying is a hunger. You know, notice in the story, the story has to do with food. And there's people coming in. He certainly wants to be hospitable, but there's a hunger. The reason that drives him is because there's a desire. And perhaps our sense of prayerlessness says something about our hunger for God. We're just fine filling ourselves up on the things that we're experiencing, the the experiences that we have in the world, and we're constantly filling ourselves up, but there's no real hunger for God. And it's possible that, that, that one of the things that we need to do is, is bring our lives before God. And the reason we don't pray with any sense of audacity or shamelessness is because we're satisfied with plenty of other things. And I, I don't know about you, but, but I'm just kind of getting to the, to the place in my life where I'm not satisfied with that. I don't just want to kind of survive a, a, another week. I don't want to survive a, a season of life. That, that if God has brought us to this place of feeling our weakness or feeling our need, that, that He also wants to produce in us a hunger for Himself to realize that the things that we've been feeding on really aren't that satisfying. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody who could, who could testify today that the things that we've been filling our lives with really just have left us more hungry and unsure i mean statistically like we could look at it sociologically and say you know we've got more things to fill our lives than any generation more activities that we can engage in more options in our life more places we can go more entertainment that we can consume but at the end of the day after after going through our lives and trying to feed ourselves with all of those things do you feel just uh, more hungry than you started at times an emptiness that wishes there could be a, a satisfaction that was deeper. And maybe we've just not slowed down enough to realize in that place, God wants to give us a hunger for Him. That He actually can fill us. And that there's really very few ways in our lives that we're feeding on the food that He desires to give us. <laughs> That he wants to host us and he wants to give us bread. Audacious prayer requires hunger. Audacious prayer requires a recognition that resources are available. Audacious prayer is good because it honors God by recognizing what he's capable of. We get this hunger, we realize, man, I want something more than this. God. God has more He wants to do in our lives, individually and corporately. I'm so thankful for this church. I've been just blessed to, uh, to be a part of this church f- for so long. And, and, and I look back and we can tell stories of all the things that God has done. And, and I'm grateful for it. I'm amazed that we've been able to be a part of it. But you know, I sit here at this time in my life and I look and I, and I hunger for something more than that. And I don't mean more than that somewhere else, but that we wouldn't be satisfied with what God has done, but with what He wants to do, and that God would give us a hunger where we would long for that and believe that, and even if we're not exactly sure how it is we lean into that, we know that we can come to God in prayer, and that there are resources available in Him. He has spiritual power and presence that He wants to bring through and into our lives so that this church becomes everything that He created it to be. And do you believe, do you, do, you, do you believe that there's more that God has that He can deliver to us if we will call on Him and ask? Audacious prayer requires a recognition of resources. I want God to show off His power in Dumfries. Wouldn't you like to be a part of something in a community where we just saw a movement of spiritual desire and hunger and God began to use us to meet the needs, to proclaim the gospel, to see people reconciled, set free from sin, depression and anxiety, to to come to know the true and living God who created them and made them for more. I, I believe God has power to do that, but he entrusts it to people who call on him. 
We ask him to do it, not just for us, but listen, that, that we would believe God has power to do something powerful in our community through our church and other churches like us, serving together, praying together for God to work in such a powerful way. And so these things are necessary. And and there are three things that will keep you from audacious prayer. No recognition of need, no confidence in God, and no real sense of hunger for that. So Jesus paints this picture for his disciples and encourages them to pray with with a sort of audacity that we wouldn't expect because he has a greater anticipation of God's willingness to answer our audacious prayers. And so the, the, the point of what Jesus shows his disciples is they don't pray like him because they don't have the audacity to do it. <laughs> to actually pray. Here's what I mean. Jesus is telling his disciples how they can learn for themselves about God's willing heart to answer our prayers. Would you like to know that? Like be confident in and of yourself that God is a God who loves to answer our prayers? Well, the answer is simple in Jesus' mind, but really important for us to understand. They will learn, we will learn, by actually praying for actual things. That's how we discover it. The teaching here this sort of ask, seek, knock teaching that Jesus is doing here. And the one who asks receives, the one who knocks has it open, the one who seeks will find. You know, in many ways, people hungry to to know that they can really get a hold of God and make Him do what they want. They've taken this and say, if you just get it right and have the right faith, you know, He said He'll give you those things. And and, and that's really not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is that the people who experience answered prayer, open doors, and, and really having God delivering on seeking are the ones who actually ask, seek, and knock. That the, the, the way you can guarantee you will never know God with any depth is never ask, never seek, and never knock. And so he says that actually praying is the, is the way we learn to pray. So, the, so, so, so how do I get what I want in some specific thing? People would say, you know, you're going to receive it, you're going to ask for it. He's got to give it to you. He's made this promise. This isn't a promise. This is an instruction about what happens when we seek God, we, we experience Him. It answers the question, how do I learn about God's willing heart in answering prayer? How do you and I learn that God has a willing heart? You learn by praying regularly and specifically. Regularly and specifically. We've already settled that a wise God, and you should settle this, you, that, that a wise God will not just give us everything we ask for. That sounds like a train wreck. If you haven't seen Bruce Almighty, I don't remember if I can recommend it, but uh, it's a train wreck, okay? So you should settle. Like, you ought to be thankful that God doesn't just give us what we want in prayer. But God is also maturing us into experiencing life with him and learning to ask and seek and knock with an audacity that he delivers on and is in line with his kingdom and his will. So he wants us to have that experience of relationally of coming to him and asking and seeking and knocking and learning to walk with him in all of these ways. And you learn this by praying regularly and specifically. God has purposes that are beyond our comprehension, but those people among us who have experienced real and regular answer to prayer all have one thing in common. They have a regular practice of asking, seeking, and knocking. That's the one thing in common among all the people I know who experience answered prayer is they have a regular practice of asking, seeking, and knocking about specific things. That's the one thing they have in common. They're different in a billion ways, but they have that in common. Maybe one of the reasons that our prayer lives at times can be so boring is because it's so bland and inconsistent. If you think about your prayer life and you think, it's kind of boring. I don't feel like this matters. And you know, like, can, can the pastor really say that out loud? I mean, I'm just being honest about where we're at at times, right? But maybe one of the reasons that that is the case is because our prayer lives are so bland and inconsistent. Bland, inconsistent prayer tells God that you have no need and you expect that he won't deliver anyway. So we pray for the day to be nice, a safe trip to and from work, for relief from our concerns. And listen, it's not that those things are bad to pray for. 
It's just that that seems to be in, in many churches, in many prayer meetings, in many groups, all we pray for. We pray for these basic concerns about whether we're going to get back and forth, and, I, and some people are going to be now afraid to pray around me. Uh, you know, but you know, we pray for traveling mercies about getting back and forth, and, and we hope that the statistics hold up, that we'll make it to and from our houses today. And, and we don't want to take that for granted, and I recognize that, that it's important, but, but I think Jesus has something else in mind here when he's teaching them how to pray. A sort of praying that really experiences spiritual power and renewal. That, that really gets to the heart of the things that we greatly desire to see God do in and through our lives. So we pray for these things, but we never pray anything like the man who got up at midnight with some urgency and makes a specific request that, we're, that he was really in need of. We don't pray like that. I remember several years ago, uh, when we moved back from Iceland um, and we were getting ready for Gracie to be born, uh, she had a heart defect and we were gonna, she was going to be born with a heart defect and we were going to have to go to the University of Virginia Hospital for her to be dreaming when to go to the University of Virginia Hospital because it's in Charlottesville, you know, it's like two hours away from here. And Annie was worried that somehow we would have a baby alongside of the road, you know, we're going we're gonna to find out and then we're going to drive two hours down there. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it became clear that we really felt like sometime before Gracie was born, a week or more ahead, because my wife can be anxious about that timing, uh, that we needed to get down there and be in Charlottesville some, somehow. And we didn't have a lot of money at the time, and staying you know, down there seemed like that might be a hard thing. And we were on our way home from this doctor appointment, just kind of spun up with anxiety and concern. And just in a moment of clarity, we said, I think we should just ask God. He knows what we need. And we began to, you know, we're driving along. I can remember where we are. We're on Route 20. Uh, near Locust Grove, and uh, we're driving along, and we just say, Lord, this, is, this whole thing's got us all spun up and worried, and we're not sure how to fix it. We're not sure what you want us to do, but it'd be really great if you just gave us a place that we could stay. Now, this hasn't always happened in our lives, but we got back to where we were staying, and I opened my email, and there was an email in there from a lady at Crozet Baptist Church 10 minutes west of the hospital. And she said, hey, I heard about what's going on, and um, I just wanted you to know we have a house that sits empty beside our church. If you guys would like to stay in it as long as you want, you can have it. Same day. I mean, it, obviously it was an amazing experience of God's provision, but you know, I, I thought about it for, for a second. Like, I don't know how all this works in God's mind, but if we hadn't prayed, maybe he would have given it to us anyway, and we'd have missed out on the fact that God wanted to prime our lives to teach us something about prayer. <laughs> that he loves to answer our needs and our requests when we bring them to him. And, and so, you know, don't ask, and you will never have any stories about how God came through. That's kind of how it works. You want some good stories? You want to experience that? Well, don't ask and you'll never have those kind of things, but, but people who ask and seek and knock and believe that God shows up, they have stories like this. So here in this section, Jesus uses three terms that would indicate that at different times and different situations, different levels of persistence are required. I don't know how it works. I'm not a genius, but I do know that he says sometimes we ask, sometimes we got to knock, Sometimes there's seeking involved, but, but that, that asking, seeking, and knocking, and, and sometimes with a persistence that goes on to seek and seek and seek and look and ask, that, that's part of what God's bringing us through in our lives as a part of how He's going to deliver us and meet us in it. Man, I would love it to always be as easy as asking, but you know, He says, ask, seek, and knock. We see these different levels of persistence. The first is simply asking. A great many prayers will be answered simply by asking. If we will just ask the Lord. I was, I was thinking of Clint while, we were prepare, while I was preparing this in his message a while back about asking for the good guy discount. Were any of y'all here that day? Yeah, I mean, it, well, I can't even remember what the point was, to be honest, or the subject. But I remember him talking about <clears throat> how, you know, regularly as he's gone at the grocery store, he asks for the good guy discount. And people are, you know, confused about what that might be. But he's just like, you know, I'm a good guy. Can't you give me a discount? 
and how often it is the case that that happens. Well, a few weeks ago, Noah and I went to Top Golf, and uh, we went to Top Golf, and we were there, and they came around. Anything else you need? I said, Yeah, you know, I was wondering, and this was, we were. I thought, you know, in honor of Clint, I'm just going to go ahead and ask. And I said, I was wondering if you could just. Cause she asked, Do you have a military discount? No, I don't have that. Do you have this? I said, But I wondered, do you have a good guy discount? Because I'd like that discount if you've got it. And she said, Yeah. We'll give it to you. I was like, great, how much? 15%. I was like, so 15% off at of Top Golf. Listen, if you like Top Golf, now you know. <laughs> they do honor the good guy discount. But listen, some things are delivered simply because of asking. The second category Jesus talks about is seeking. Think about the, the difference between asking and seeking. There's a level of persistence over time, isn't there? There's a great example of this in Scripture in the life of the Apostle Paul. Why, what seeking does for us in prayer. He asked God for something in 2 Corinthians 12. We actually don't know specifically what it was he asked for, but it was the removal of a painful problem in his life. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. It could have been a physical weakness or an emotional struggle or some opposition to his work by an opponent. So what did Paul do about it? He asked God to remove the problem. He didn't just ask. It says he sought the Lord for its removal three times. That he sought the Lord about this particular thing. And in the end, through his seeking, he did not receive the thing that he requested. But in his willingness to seek... God met him in a way that actually satisfied him more than if what he had gotten what he had asked for to begin with. He goes on to say in verse 18, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, and he gave him something different that was far better. He said, listen, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, because of that, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. And listen to what God gave him in his seeking. Profound shaping moments like this are realized in the crucible of seeking prayer. Prayer that seeks after God. God delivers. And he delivers his heart. His purpose. In ways that go way beyond just giving us what we asked for. The third level we see is knocking. Knocking is an act of faith. You see, this is a part of prayer. I think here Jesus is bringing together our persistent prayer with an assignment to take a step of faith and knock on the door. You see, there are times where, where our prayers become active. <laughs> they become actions. They, they, that we do things as, as a part of the prayer that we give to God to, to, to take and blow His wind across. There are times where we need to pray and then get up off of our knees and step out in action, in faith, as a response to what was going on in prayer. I can remember when we started our uh, sports camp, our Pillar Kids sports camp, which each summer serves hundreds of kids to be able to bless them with an experience for a week and to preach the gospel to their families. And I had the idea of this uh, maybe like 11 or 12 years ago, and I really wasn't sure how to pull it off. At the time, you got to realize the church was like 50 people, and we, we didn't have that many volunteers. We didn't have a space, uh, and we, I just wasn't sure how we were going to do it. But I knew that I knew the principal at Triangle Elementary and I thought, maybe this guy will, will let us use that space. Now, the problem was, is we were dead broke as a church. Like, renting space, you know, it costs $1,000, $1,500. And when I say dead broke, we were living, like, week to week. You know, like, I hope the offering's good, and that's going to pay for this week's bills, you know. And, uh, and so, to do this outreach, I, I, just, I, I just remember praying and saying, Lord, I, I really want Triangle Elementary, because it's near the base and right in our community, and I want it for free. Like I, just, you know, I know the schools usually don't give the buildings for free, but Lord, somehow, I just want it for free. And, uh, and so, ask the Lord, and, and, and I had this sense like, okay, well, you're going to need to go ask for it. 
<laughs> and so I got up and I, and I went over to the school at Triangle Elementary and the guy that was the principal had worked with Annie at Elizabeth Vaughn Elementary when she was teaching ESL and um, went into uh, his office and I said, hey, Mark, um, we, we really got this idea to do a sports camp and we want to bless the kids in, in the community and we don't want to charge them anything, uh, but I need you to give me the fields for free <laughs> and the gym. And, uh, and he said, he said, listen, this is my, this is my last year here. And it was, this, it was late spring. And he says, I, I'm going to be moving on to a different thing. He said, I'm a Christian. I've wanted these kids to hear the gospel. He says, not only, you can have the, I'll fill it out. You, you're good. You can use everything that we've got. And I just want you to make sure that you preach the gospel. I was like, all right, I got a little bit more than I asked for. I was wondering about that part, you know, like, what, what are you going to allow us to do in here, we, you know? And it was incredible. But, but part of that, part of praying at times is knocking. <laughs> you, you go, I prayed for this, so uh, God, I'm going to go find out what you're doing. And so there's a part in which, which we knock and the doors are opened as we are praying. So prayer coupled with steps of faith. They express reliance. Those steps of faith express reliance and confidence in God that he's drawn to answer. We may pray for God to work in the life of a friend that we want to share our faith with, but we do not discover how eager God is to answer the prayer until we step out and knock on the door to spend time with them. We may pray for a need we have in our life, but we don't discover God's provision until we take action, believing that as we knock, God will open the door. Over and over in ministry and life, I have found that if we will pray and then knock on the door, God may not deliver the way we initially intended, but he will surprise us with how he is answering the heart of our prayers as we step out in faith. But listen, that first knock is so scary. And for some of you right now, praying and knocking sounds scary. But Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. People who knock are the ones who experience the open door. Don't seek and you'll never discover the power God has to help us discover what we are really searching for. And Don't knock and you can guarantee the door will remain shut. But Jesus wants his disciples to experience something much more dynamic than, than that in their life with God. Ask, seek, and knock, and do it specifically and vividly, and see what God does. It'll be life-altering, eye-opening experience for you if you do it with persistence. But underneath all that, there's something required. The requirement is spiritual desire, the sort that actually wants their life to be dependent on God, coming through with His provision. When we're content with a life of functional atheism that can be explained by our own effort where we never attempt anything of substance to honor God, then we will find ourselves very prayerless. Fourth thing that we see from Jesus, he tells us to pray assuredly. Jesus ends this section by asking a set of questions that are used to make a lesser to greater argument. Here's the point of what he's saying. God is a better parent than any of us. We, even, we ourselves, even riddled with sin, know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more does our Heavenly Father know and desire to give us the Holy Spirit if we ask? Jesus is so insightful here because he speaks to our real experiences of prayer. In prayer, we are confronted with our lack of faith, with our cynicism, Have you ever prayed for a fish or an egg? Probably none of you have done that. But you've prayed for something that falls into this category that you wanted or desired or needed and you felt like you got a snake or a scorpion instead. Anybody been there? Or this isn't what I wanted. I prayed for something different. And that fish I prayed for looks more like a snake. Another way it's described in Matthew 7 is praying for bread and receiving a stone. Sometimes in prayer, this is our experience, isn't it? It's what we feel is happening. 
It's what we understand. We pray and pray, and it feels like instead of God answering, He does something even worse. It may have seemed like an odd set of comparisons Jesus is making here, but He's playing on the idea that we're often cynical toward God and uncertain that He loves us, and it never comes out more than in prayer. When you are disappointed, it's easy to believe God sent a snake instead of giving the fish you asked for. The snake looks almost like a fish. (laughs) Jesus talks about this because it is the real concern of our hearts when we don't understand what God is doing as we are praying. But if we learn anything from prayer, we must learn prayer is an exercise of faith. Faith reaches beyond our perception to trust that God does not give a stone when the need is really bread. God does not give a scorpion or a steak. God knows how to give good gifts to His children. And we must trust at times in our life that we are, what we are experiencing as a stone may yet turn out in the long run to be the sort of bread that we had not anticipated. Because the story isn't over. So why does he end then with this comment about the Holy Spirit? The answer is because the Holy Spirit is what unites us to God's will and desire as we pray. The Holy Spirit is the one who delivers what we have called upon the Lord for. The Holy Spirit is what gives us the insight into the riches of God's provision and ability to see the ways that God is actually meeting our needs. The Holy Spirit is the active presence of God in our life, giving us the good gifts of our Father through the power of God and and attuning us to what God really wants us to do, what God really would have us ask for. And we're encouraged to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit because in our own power, even our praying falls short. You see, the other reason he says that God gives the Holy Spirit is because That in all of these things that we pray for, the truth is God himself is the answer to everything we're seeking. You know, it's one thing if God says no to the prayer request, but shows up to be there with us himself. You see, the thing that we need so much more than the things that we ask for is we need God, him. A real sense of communion with Him. A sense of His power and presence. Helping us to trust His loving hand of provision that says yes, that says no, that says wait. But all the while shows us that His love abides with us still. And He says when we pray, we have a good Father who gives good gifts. How much more will He not give us His presence to abide with us in our asking. Because if we don't have Him, if we don't have Him, but we get all this stuff, we really have nothing. Ultimately, prayer and getting prayer answered the way we want is not the end goal. Jesus reminds us here at the close of this section that what we need more and what prayer is an invitation to is an experience of the reality of a relationship with God that is living and dynamic, where we know that the God whom we are trusting in is hearing us and caring for us with a wisdom and care that goes beyond our limited perspective. And listen, if you're a Christian here today, you were saved by an unanswered prayer. When Jesus kneeled in the garden before the crucifixion and He said, Lord, if there's any other way for this to come, to pass by, And I don't have to go to the cross. Please, Father, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus got up from that moment of prayer and he walked on in the confidence in his Father. And on the cross, he paid for your sin and for my sin. Not just so that we could be forgiven, not just so that we could experience answered prayer, but so that the presence of God could fill our lives and abide with us and bring us on through now and to eternity with the guiding, abundant love of God as our Father. 
And some of you will never get prayer. You'll never understand why we would seek after the Lord until you take the first step in your life to recognize that's what Jesus did for you. And that today, he doesn't just want to be a genie in your life, add some good things to it, that he wants to come and be with you. That he wants to draw you into a real relationship with him. And if you'll turn from your sin and all the things that you think you can give yourself, he will give you him. <laughs> a real relationship that will matter for now and to eternity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He gives his Holy Spirit to those who ask. And today you can say, God, I know I'm, I'm not, I've not followed you. My life has been broken. I've not even been sure what to think about you. But today, if you're offering forgiveness and salvation and a relationship with you, I want it. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sin. Come fill my life with your presence. And the Lord will hear that prayer. And it's a prayer that he answers. It's a prayer that he responds to and comes into our lives and begins to abide with us and change us. And I want to invite you to take that first step today. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes as we go into a time of prayer. And as the band comes up and prepares to lead us in worship, I just want to invite you in the quietness of this moment to do one of two things. One of two things, to respond today. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ and taken the step of faith to begin a relationship with God. I want to encourage you that you would take this moment as we have this time of prayer to just call on God. Confess to Him that you're a sinner. Put your faith, express your faith that you believe that Jesus died for you and invite Him to come and fill you with His presence. But maybe you're here today and you're a Christian. It's been a long time since you really, really brought the, the depths of your heart before God. I want to encourage you to take a moment and just pray. And you don't have to do it for long, but just now, in an authentic way that's not just going through the motions of a worship service and finishing out and thinking about getting on to lunch and getting our kids and going on with the week. And man, there are many things going on in every one of our lives, but that you would just take right now, this time as you've come to worship, you'd quiet your heart before God. You just pray. Pray with faith and trust that your Father is listening. Whatever it is that's on your heart, express to God's heart. So we're going to give you a moment to do that. And then we're going to distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian and you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to join us as those elements come around. Take those and we're going to share in the Lord's Supper in a moment. But just take a moment to pray there and then we're going to sing.